Good morning, Mars Hill. We have two passages that we will be reading this morning. We're going to begin in Psalm 32, which is page 514 in your Shed Bibles. And then we will move to Romans 5, which is page 1041 in your Shed Bibles. Psalm 32, 3 to 7. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Romans 5, verses 17 to 19. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in my life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For just, for just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tim, and I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad to keep saying that every Sunday. And um, we step into the season of Lent today. Uh, this is our journey up to Easter, and yet it is its own season, not just the buildup to the day. And so we're going to take a look at that over the next couple weeks. We have a new series we're calling Fix Our Hearts. And I love that phrase because it's both like fix our hearts in terms of our attention, our direction, our telos, and then there's the really simple like just fix our hearts. <laughs> They're not well, all is not well within me, and I think probably within you, and so that is both a question and a desire and a promise to fix our hearts this Lent. And so our teaching team is going to be holding uh, before our community uh, the things we call the lectionary readings, these pairings of scripture that have been given to the church over many, many years for these particular seasons and saying, what is the Spirit of God doing in and through these texts for us today? So we have Genesis chapter 3, we got Psalm 32, we heard from Nikki, Romans 5 and Matthew chapter 4, and we were going to see what kind of soup we can make with these texts. Does that sound all right? Oh, okay. All right. I'll pick it up a little bit here. So, hey, 
I am going to run a half marathon in about six weeks. Well, this is not my first half marathon. It's a redemptive one for me. And I, I've been training little by little. And, and just this week, I was doing some sprints, like 100 yarders, just super fast as I can go. And I'm in the middle of one, and my watch beeps. And I'm like, oh, good. Sometimes it has little encouragements for me. And it says, congratulations, you are now at Kyle Lake's marathon speed. <laughs> Great. So I got that going for me. <clears throat> Not fast. But let me tell you, I tried to be fast once. My first half marathon. It was September 23rd, 92 degrees, somewhere around 2017 or 16 or 18, one of those years, 92 degrees, and yet they are running the Holland Haven Half Marathon. I'd been training for this with my wife, Allie, for a while. She is fast. Her watch tells her actual encouragements, and, and so we've been training. I had an injury in my training and was unable to really fully train, but I was like, you know what? It's okay. I got this. It's just 13.1 miles. And so we get to the starting line. We're off. We're trudging along. And about mile five, my wife starts looking around like it's raining. It's not. The sweat had just pooled in my shoes enough to squish out with every step. And you didn't need to hear it because you could see it on my face that this was happening. So a few miles later, we're at the 11-mile aid station, just two miles from the end. And if, you, if you've ever seen a race, the aid stations are great. They have a line of people offering you kind of water and then Gatorade and then water again. They have some aid workers, et cetera, the Red Cross is there, all these things. And so we're at 11 miles, and I'm just, Allie's feeling great, looking beautiful and just running, and I'm just sloshing through the line, barely able to breathe, get my water, and then the Gatorade, and then I get to the last person in the line, which is the Red Cross aid worker, and they're supposed to hand me this water. And so I go to get the water, and I keep walking, and they don't let go of the water. And they stop, and I look at them, and just give me the water. I'm fine. And she stops me, gets in my face, and says, we can help you. <sighs> we can help you. <sighs> Friends, sometimes we don't recognize really just how badly off we are. We can't see it as well as other people can, let alone we try and mask it or push it to the side or just pretend that the reality that's happening isn't really happening. But it is. And sometimes we have a moment, a chance, a season to pause like in Lent and recognize for our own benefit just how much we need help. And so may it be today that the Spirit of God through Lent grabs our hands and looks us honestly in the eye and says, I can help you. And may we be those who receive it because often our condition is worse off than we would like to admit. The psalmist, we say that flippantly, but it means the person who writes the psalms. The psalmist gets this. We read it in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away or groaning all day long. I felt that in the half marathon, but spiritually, metaphorically, we feel that as well. For day and night, there was a heaviness. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of the summer. All is not well with us and within us as well. 
But why do we need help? Why can't we just help ourselves? It, it just seems like we can't get all of our stuff together. And so we, we talk about things in terms of brokenness or sin or inability or inadequacy. And that needs a little unpacking because there's healthy ways to do that and unhealthy ways to do that. And I pray this Lent is a way that we can healthily have some time to sit in the brokenness. See, in some Christian circles, it is uh, relatively in vogue right now to start with humanity's origin story in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the kids are out of the room, so they won't correct us, but 3 is not where you start. It's usually 1 and 2, right? And so there's even one particular denomination's membership questions that recently surfaced on social media recently that begin with this. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving of God's displeasure and without hope to save except for by God's sovereign mercy. While that is theologically true, it is an inadequate starting point because what gets stirred up in us, and it's not hard to do this, are all the places that we find shame and hiding and inadequacy. And it's easy enough for us to believe that is all there is. And so we begin even our worship today with a song that says, your love, no love is greater, no love is truer than your love, O Lord. And then we move to corporate confession. We spend some time in Genesis 1 and 2 and then Genesis chapter 3 in confession. So while it is theologically sound and appropriate to acknowledge God's displeasure with our brokenness, we also want to hold our talk of sin and desperate need in its appropriate place as not the starting point. So would it be that we would hear... The question to us is, do you acknowledge that you were lovingly made in the image of God, created very good, possessing dignity and worth as a starting point, as those who hold God's image, and then know that out of that, we still have to deal with all that is not right. So that is how I hope through this season we can hold the realities of sin and brokenness within us and know that it is not the beginning of the story, nor the end. Thanks be to God. So, if we begin with our affirmation of our belovedness in Christ, we are image bearers, may it be that this Lent and every day, we would know that we are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And yet, that holds a tension when we say that, that all is not well. Sin is, is not a secret. We often feel closer to the sin than we do our identity in Christ, our belovedness, and the psalmist reminds us that even still our bones are wasting away and things are not all well. And so we hold this together, we have to, because one, we're not God, so we can't fix this on our own, and two, Christ has not yet returned to bring heaven and earth together and all things eternally right, as we see in Revelation 21 and 22. So we sit in Lent with these realities that we are beloved image bearers of God, and we need help and often don't recognize it, and three, that that hope and help is possible. 
let's take a look at the psalm again. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Dry desert. That's why the desert is one of the metaphors for this Lenten season. And the gospel text that we hold up today also has a rather arid feel to it. So let's take it to Matthew chapter four and see how this all gets worked out. How then do we hold this tension between the help we need and the help we're unable to give ourselves? So Matthew chapter four, if you have your shed Bible, I encourage you or any Bible by that matter, to follow along with us, we get this narrative of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Brian said it earlier in our liturgy as well that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. I hold up to you too that we also pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. So I didn't follow that rabbit trail today, so if you're a researcher and wanna figure out the tension between those two, please email me. It's interesting. But here we are. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Christ is hungry, thirsty, famished, vulnerable. And then uh, the tempter comes and says, if you are the son of God, would you take these stones and make them become bread? Would you feed yourself, find provision? Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God, pushes back the temptation. It continues, and the devil took him to the holy city, you're at Jerusalem, he stands on the highest point of the temple, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and they lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. On a real simple level, he's saying, Jesus, you need protection. And he says, Jesus says to him, it's not written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world, all their splendors, and all this I will give to you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels attended him. Jesus is tempted at the very places, the things that you would think he really needs. Food, sustenance, protection from being vulnerable. And then as someone who's young and starting their public ministry career, wouldn't you want fame and adoration and followership and influence and all these things? And Jesus pushes back directly and says, no. Underneath, I think, saying, I actually already have all of those things in God. So, you may be thinking, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus, Jesus doesn't give in to temptation. We shouldn't either, but I usually do. Yay, God, let's have communion. I don't think that's the, the message of this text at all. I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's probably true. But there's something larger at play here 
than just Jesus pushing back on temptation. You see, if we zoom out a little bit, especially if you're someone with an open Bible right now, what happens right before Jesus gets led into the wilderness? What's the event that happens right prior to this? Jesus is what? Baptized. And so you're like, okay, that's interesting. There's baptism and then there's this testing. And so when, when we want to look at this through the first century ears of a Jewish hearer, when they put this story alongside the baptism narrative right before it, they're going to see a, a particular pattern where in the chaos of the world, there is Jesus approaching the Jordan River to be baptized in the water. And you can go to the next slide here, Scott. Uh, and the spirit hovers over the waters. God is doing something. Then there's a word from heaven. This is my son whom I loved and I am well pleased with him. And we too get these words at our baptism. If you want to attend the baptism class next week, sign up. It's going to be really great. But this is, this is a pattern that's happening. There's the chaos of the world come to the water. The spirit hovers over. There's a word from God. And then order is brought out of chaos. Things are made right. And then there's testing that happens. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested, right? Now, where else have we seen such a pattern, particularly in the Old Testament? Where do things like this happen, where there's chaos and the spirit of God hovers over the waters? Creation. Fast forward a few chapters in Genesis. There's chaos, and then there's water, and then like a dove over the waters, bringing the olive branch. This is Noah's ark. And then there's chaos in Egypt. We're led through the waters, and the spirit of God meets Israel, Moses, and the Exodus. And so the first century hearers of this, or those who are present, I think are wondering, before Jesus gets called into the wilderness, he's at his baptism, like, is this, is this happening again? They're noticing this particular pattern and wondering, could this be new creation? Could this be a new Moses, a new Exodus for God's people? But the thing that is in the back of their mind is that this pattern always ends in tragedy. It has never gone well. The test has never been passed. It has not been done. Apples have been eaten. Gods have been pushed away. Things have not gone well. And so I think as Jesus is led into the wilderness the tester, uh, to be tested, there's a question like, I don't, I don't think this is going to go well. And yet, a different pattern emerges. We see the same thing. And what Jesus is doing is taking all that has ever been in the brokenness of the world, all that humanity has left undone and could not be done, all the tests that haven't been passed, all the relationships that have ever been broken, all the vows that have been broken, and saying, instead of this ending in tragedy, this will end in triumph. And the devil flees from him and the angels attend to all his needs. Matthew chapter 4 verse 11. And so what we could not do for ourselves, Jesus has done. And amen. And just as this pattern shows us the scope of this work, this work has continued in all that we have 
not been able to do and been able to finish, Jesus has done and will do. And so the good news for us here is that we are able to say, Jesus, you are the one who does it and not me. Christ has done what humanity cannot do. Christ is the work, does the work, and finishes the work. Christ is God so that we do not have to be. And so we get this text in Romans that Nikki read earlier. It says, through the trespasses of one man, death reigned. We get that. Sin is not the secret. But through God's abundant provision, through the gift of and the righteousness of one man, all are made righteous in Jesus Christ. And now the psalm actually makes more sense. If we read it in its entirety, go back to Psalm 32, we realize that blessed is the one is where the psalm starts. This is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, right? We begin the narrative in blessing rather than in brokenness. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, here we go, we know this part really well. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me for my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Pause. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. And you did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not touch them. You are my hiding place and you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The work of God holds us and keeps us and heals us in the midst of us acknowledging our sin and brokenness to God. And that is a hard thing to do because usually we don't know how bad off we are and that we need that kind of help. And yet, friends, the good news is here in the psalmist, in the epistle, in the gospel, in the Old Testament narrative is that we cannot hold it together and God can and God will and God does. And so we are able to acknowledge with freedom that we are not God. And so we don't have to try to be. This is not an invitation to do whatever and live willy-nilly. We know that. But... God holds it together. We do not have to be God. And don't pretend to be. There is a freedom in knowing our limitedness. So we begin Lent with Ash Wednesday, recognizing the good news that it's from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. Hence we call Lent, it has been called the bright sadness because that is a sad reality and we hold the sadness of our condition and yet it is bright that God has and has done all the work and that we can find freedom in our limits for God is our refuge and strength. 
So in the midst of all that is churned up when we talk about sin and brokenness and all that we don't know is actually going on inside of us because we don't pause to recognize how bad off we are and that we probably can't finish the race the way we're running, God has done the work. We need help and God has done the work. For Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say that together one more time. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So in the middle of Lent 2023, we hold our great need and our inability to help ourselves to finish the story. We know well where our pattern has ended in tragedy rather than triumph. Christ has done the work. We do not have to, for we cannot. So we step into that tension and we stay there. We have six weeks to stay in that tension together and Let the Spirit of God work and heal us and hold the things that we are trying to hide so desperately. One of the texts today is Genesis 3 and ends with the characters putting fig leaves around themselves. If you've ever made anything out of leaves, they wilt and wither and they're not sustainable. So too are our patterns of hiding and covering. And so God comes in and makes a covering. And the psalm opens with, oh Lord, you have covered my iniquities for me where I cannot. And so I wanna suggest four really simple things that may present a pattern for us in the next six weeks. The first, Selah. Now, you may have thought that in my cutting and pasting of the text, I forgot to remove this little piece in the psalm. There's this word that comes up periodically, 74 times in the Psalms, called Selah. And it remains a mystery. There are really good thoughts on what it could mean. And one of the leading thoughts on what it could be is a time when we say, stop and listen. It comes to us three times in our Psalm today, right after all the place of groaning and bone crushing and dryness. Selah. Stop and listen. And it comes again after the revealing of God's mercy and righteousness. Selah, stop and listen. It may be feeling like it's coming to you on mile 11 where somebody grabs your hands and says, stop. All is not well with you. So I think that's the initial invitation is to pause. Don't rush through the tension that we must hold in Lent, stop and listen. The Spirit wants to reveal something in you, something to be healed or made whole or broken or freed from. There's no shortage of wounds in places we self-protect and isolate in our story. And so stop and listen. Maybe it's carving out some moments in a new way over the next six weeks to do that. Maybe it's a few hours or it's a day retreat. Whatever it is, stop and listen. And then pay attention to where the Spirit is guiding us. We have an opportunity to stop and then see it. See what the Spirit is showing you. Probably, 
At some point in the last 20 minutes, as we've said the words like sin, brokenness, pattern, addiction, inadequacy, there's something underneath that maybe God is bringing up for you. And for me, that's usually followed with, just don't talk about that, don't say that out loud, don't ever, don't, don't, don't go there. And I think they, that may be God telling you, hey, there's something for you to see here. There's something that's not well inside of you. And that's hard. And yet, I hold that alongside St. Ignatius, who tells us that all things in this world are gifts of God, given to us that we may know God more deeply and make a return of love more readily. And so even these things that are in us that are getting highlighted by our pause and the work of the Spirit are gifts of God so that we may be healed. Psalm 32, I did not keep silent, but I noticed what needed to be fixed. And so the third thing, the invitation for us is to say it out loud. Once you discern the Spirit is digging something inside of you that needs some attention, this Lent, some repentance, some fixing. I would encourage you to say it. Maybe it's to the right person, someone you trust. Maybe it's to a pastor. Maybe it's to a journal. Maybe it's to a prayer wall request. Maybe it is to God alone, but to speak it out loud. To bring something into the light. That which is concealed is really hard to be healed. And so while this really scares me as I take a long look at myself, this is how things get made right and we move out of the desert into resurrection. And then to surrender it, to recognize our own inability to fix ourselves, that we do not have the hands which can mend our souls alone. And so maybe this is wrapped up in a moment for you or a day, but it may be wrapped up in this Lent and maybe next Lent and beyond, but, we, but God is desiring to heal and make you whole, to do the work that we cannot, to cover the things that we cannot cover any longer. And so my prayer for you and our whole church is that during Lent, this may be our reality, that God will show up as healer and provider as we acknowledge all that is not well within us and don't rush through that moment. And the Spirit may bring triumph for we have only seen tragedy. So I'll end with this poem. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released and I can sing, I am free. Not I, but Christ in me. Thanks be to God. So we get to step into that promise with tangible representation today. That Christ is for us what we cannot be for ourselves. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. How right and good and joyful a thing it is, O oh Lord. 
that at all places and in all times we can give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so we praise you, joining our voices with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so God, would you send your spirit as it has hovered over the waters, may it hover over us and over this table, that you would do for us what you have been doing and promised to do. Would you unify us? Would you make us whole? Would you heal us? And would you give us sustenance for the journey, be it in the desert? We are grateful, O oh God. And so it was Jesus who gathered his disciples around the table the night in which he was betrayed. And to open the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And after the meal, Jesus likewise took the cup and he said to his friends, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we do. We gather at tables around this room, and today you may come and receive communion as well up from the loaf. And we come to be fed and nourished and provided for as those who have deep need for help. So come and be refreshed. Know that there's spaces where you can pray around the prayer walls, light a candle, put a prayer, know that you will be prayed with. The prayer team is back there. Bennett would love to pray with you. Um, if you're at a place where saying this out loud would be helpful, let that be a gift to you. And so in this meal, we rehearse the story that ends in triumph. And we say this together as we do so, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So friends, come forward, take and eat, and receive who you are, the body of Christ.